before I start today's message. Oftentimes, pastors are called, and usually with the intention of growing the church and growing buildings and doing all kinds of things that are visible. And it seems to me that one of the ways that many churches have done that and many pastors have done that is to fall into the um, situation where the psychology of it, that if I just tell you how wonderful you are, now God has this wonderful plan and you're going to be this awesome person and that you're going to do awesome and great things that you'll want to come hear how awesome you are. Well, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Because first off, you're not that awesome, and neither am I. But our God is. How great is our God? And as we just sang, there has never been and there will never be another God like ours. So we talk about who he is and what he has done for us. And I believe in sometimes. As Jesus has said, narrow is the way and few who find it, but we will find those who are genuinely committed to following him. And if that takes a while, that takes a while. We have taken a look at people in the last several messages who have determined not to bow their knee to other gods and other requirements, but to worship and obey and trust God alone. Now, none of these people started out thinking that they're going to be great, wonderful people and we're going to be included in the Hall of Fame of faith and all these types of things. They just basically lived their lives. The three Hebrew young men didn't start out to say, gee, I want to find out how God is going to save us through the fire. They simply said, I'm not going to bow down and worship that idol. Daniel didn't say, well, you know, I'm going to start praying because they made it illegal to pray and and show how God can save me through the lion's den. He just continued to pray without ceasing because that's what people are called to do. It wasn't like Nehemiah decided that I will, what can I choose to do that will get the most opposition and do that? He said, I'm going to do a good work and I'm going to continue doing it whether you like it or not. Esther didn't become Queen Esther because she thought she was going to deliver the people of God, but found herself in that position to be able to do so and is willing to risk her life for it. And we're going to see one other person today who is on a mission not to do what he ultimately, and what he's well known for from every child and above. Now, again, I'm going to tweak the story a little bit because not how we like to sing about it, not like how we, we talk about it. And so in, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, we see this. It says, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Sukkah, and, uh, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Sukkah and Azkah in Ephesus. Now, the Philistines had been the enemies of Israel pretty much ever since Israel was Israel. All the way back in the book of 
judges. From about the second or third judge on, we see at different times how the judges are fighting against the Philistines. And one of the stories you probably well know in the book of Judges is about Samson. And Samson is the one who's fighting the Philistines. And Samson is the one that the Philistines were able to capture because he chose to be deceived by Delilah because he had plenty of opportunities not to be deceived, but because of who he was and his lust and whatever, he continued to accept her deceptions to when he's got his hair cut and lost his strength. But in his final days, he determined to bring them all down because he knew who his God was. And so this has continued from the book of Judges into now, into Samuel, which Samuel is one of the last judges, and we have now King Saul. So we have a different administration. And the Philistines are again attacking Israel. And so their army is camped on one side of the valley and another camp on the other side. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. So they were there to fight the battle. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So we've got these two armies encamped on different mountaintops with a valley in between. And the reason that the armies are camped on the mountaintop is because that's strategically advantageous. It's easier for you to defend from a position of height than it is to scale the height and fight. So they're doing very smart strategic battle formation. However, things change. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, we're not real sure about the length of a cubit. You know, talk, we talk about the arm length and whatever. It's pretty much everybody has agreed that it's about 18 inches, which means he's over nine feet tall. Now, that's pretty impressive in today because we see people like Shaq and others who are seven feet when we go, wow, that's a big dude. But this is at a time when probably the average height of a person was about 5'2". So this guy is almost twice as tall as anybody in the army of Israel. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scaled armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, I don't know how much 5 thousand shekels of bronze is, but it sounds like a whole lot. And it sounds like this dude is not only big, but he's got big armor. He also had a bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin flung between his shoulders. So not only his, his chest and stomach protected, his thighs and his shins are. So we got this big guy who's basically a tank. And he's standing out there, and he's got this bronze javelin between his shoulders. 
The shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier was also walked before him. So again, I'm not sure exactly how much this weighs and whatever, but it seems significant. And I've seen pictures of a weaver's beam. That's not a, that's not a thin thing. That's, a, that's like a four by four. So he's well protected, well armored. And not only is he basically this big man with big armor and big weapons, he has somebody in front of him, his shield bearer. So he's got protection besides his own standing. So this is a giant, a giant of a man, well-protected, well-experienced, as we will see. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. So he's offering, he's offering a challenge. Why are we going to take these two armies and fight together? I'll tell you what we'll do. You pick somebody to fight me, that's what we'll do. Why, why are we, we going to have armies fight against each other? We'll just have imano imano, just man against man. That's all we're going to have done. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. So here's the challenge. You fight me and win. There's no war. We just become your servants. However, if I win, you become ours. That's the challenge. And I would say, if you were looking at it, it would be a pretty safe challenge. Because there are not a whole lot of people who are going to be equal to Goliath's massive ability of height, strength, and armor. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day and give me a man that we may fight together. So he is now mocking the people of God. I defy you. Come, I don't think you have, I don't think you're man enough. Come on down, fight me, you coward. And what happened? When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They became fearful of the words of Goliath. Fearful of what he might do because they know who they were and who he was. Afraid. There's another scene that now takes place. There's a young man, a youth, whose name is David. And David is doing what David's supposed to do. David is tending his father's sheep. That's his job. Not a significant job as we might think. Not a wonderful job. He's just a shepherd. Big deal. That's why I say everybody goes, oh, I want to do something significant. 
David's tending sheep. But his father gives him a mission. His father says, I want you to take a care package, some cheese and some other things, and I want you to take them to your brothers, and I want you to take this care package to their commanders, and I want you to provide it, but I also want you to tell me how it's going with them. So give me a report. You know, it's not like they have the BBC or anything that they can find out what's happening on the battlefield. And let's face it, if you're a parent of people at risk of war, you would want to know that they're safe. So their father sends little David to check it out. That's his job. That's his mission. So David arose early in the morning. So we have a little bit of technical difficulty on my fault upstairs. So, so David arose early in the morning and left the flocks with a uh, keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out into battle array, shouting the war cry. And Israel and Palestine drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brother. So he's doing what his dad had said to do. And as he was talking with them, behold, the champion of the Philistines from Gath named Goliath was coming up and the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. So now David is hearing what Goliath is saying, how he's taunting the armies of God and how he's ridiculing them, and he's seeing the response of the soldiers in Israel. So it continued on. And when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel, and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. So there is this offer of, of a price. If you are able to kill Goliath, we're going to give you riches. We're going to give you the king's daughter, which means now you're in royalty and you have special privilege, and you're going to be tax-free. Sounds like a great deal. Three, three great things. You're going to have great significance. You're going to be in the royalty. You're going to be rich and you're going to have it riches tax-free. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should taunt the armies of the living God? So David takes it personal. David goes, Who is this guy that he should do this? 
that this, he named called, this uncircumcised Philistine, which basically says he's not following God's command. Who should, why should be afraid of this guy? So what will the king do? Now, this somewhat bothers me personally. Because I wish David would have just said, I'll take him on. But he reemphasizes, well, I heard it said, what will, get, what will the king give if you take Goliath on? So then he, he confirms it. And so I don't know. My first thinking was, he seems to be like a mercenary. Can I get something for doing this? Then I go, can I give him a break? What, you know? And I think, well, maybe he's saying this because he's confident. And by saying this, his confidence will, will uh, affect people and that will have an effect. Then I said, well, maybe it's a sense of he's confident. And if he asks these questions and says it with confidence, maybe the word will get out. And so that the king will hear it. And so then they'll call David as opposed to David trying to volunteer on his own. I don't know. Sometimes the, the Bible will tell us the intentions of people. And sometimes they leave it silent. I don't know. So I'm going to hope that it's David's confidence that he's saying these things as opposed to he's looking for a payday. But then again, don't we all? And the people answered in one accord with his word, saying, thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now, family is family. You think your family is a little weird and crazy and dysfunctional. We all are. Even the families of the Bible. So now Eliab, his oldest brother. Now, you know, older brothers and younger brothers. So his oldest brother uh, heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab, anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in, your, in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. I love it. You're insignificant. You don't have much of a job. Dad doesn't think much of you because he makes you entitled to watch a few sheep not even all the sheep, and he just puts them down. And it's classic older brother. And he doesn't even give him credit. And it's like, and the only reason you're here is to watch the battle. And David could have said, no, no, I'm not here to watch the battle. I came here because dad told me to check on you. David doesn't get a break. But David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? And, and so it's like, if, if, if you, I had an older brother, but we didn't have this relationship. But I can see, because I've, I've had children, and I have grandchildren, and I see family dynamics. And they go, what I do now? I just ask a question. But he's persistent. Then he turned away from him to another, and he said the same thing. 
And the people answered the same thing as before. He keeps asking, what's going to happen to the guy who defeats Goliath? So now I'm thinking, it's not just being a mercenary. He's trying to show, I'm confident. And even with my brothers ridiculing me, I'm still going to keep on asking the question. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And I think, again, I'm hoping this is the reason David keeps asking this question, is that the king might hear that David wants to know, and David is, in essence, volunteering, but not so much saying, raising hand, say me. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him, your servant will go up and fight with this Philistine. So David goes, stop being afraid. Stop being dismayed. I volunteer to do it. I'll fight the guy. I don't care if he's nine plus feet tall and has armor that's incredible. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. So Saul's going, thanks for, thanks for the volunteering, but you're not the guy. Because you're not old enough, and however old you are, he's had that much experience fighting. He's been, it's like saying, okay, before you ever go to boot camp, we're going to have you take on a Navy SEAL. Don't think it's going to work out well. And so Saul says, I appreciate, I appreciate your, your willingness, but you're not the guy. But, but David's not going to take no for an answer. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. And I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. So David in one story tells two stories of how a bear and a lion had taken his father's sheep and he wasn't content to let that get away. And he tracked it down, killed it, and was able to do so. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like the one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. So David goes, I've had experience. I've taken on animals that will decimate people, and I've done so with the help of God. And with God's help, I'm going to take on this Philistine because he has taunted the armies of the living God. You notice that David went from a mission of seeing how his brothers were and taking a care package to now volunteering to fight the good fight against this one who has been taunting Israel. You see, David, no matter how young he was and how small he was, was not willing to tolerate God's people being demeaned and mocked. 
And he goes, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. So David doesn't say, because of my great skill and my wisdom and my power, I was able to defeat the lion and the bear. He goes, God did so. And God will also deliver this Philistine into my hand, not because I'm a great warrior, not because of my great size, but because I fight for and with a great God. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put on a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed him with his armor. So they, they set him up for the battle. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go out with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. It was, it was, it was a good effort to say, we're going to give you the protection. We're going, to, we're going to make you like a soldier. Now Saul was a big man. And David is a youth. And even if they fit him well, David's going, I'm not used to fighting with this. So I'm, I'm, going to, I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to use the typical weapons of war that you provide for me. So he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Now I want you to I, I want you to catch the picture of this. Here's Goliath, a nine foot plus man who's big and strong and armor. And here's this little youth. He takes a stick and a stone. Find it interesting, he didn't take a stone, he took five of them. But I think there's a reason he takes a stick. He also takes a sling, which is his weapon. But to a sword fight, he takes a stick and five stones. I would pretty much bet Everybody in this room and any military expert would say, you know, you probably shouldn't take a stick to a sword fight. Just saying. May not work out well for you if you take a stick to a sword fight, especially a sword fight where the sword is probably much bigger and longer than your little stick. But David goes with his stick and his five stones that he has in his pouch and his sling. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. Here's this big, strong, burly guy who's got to have somebody out. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth and ruddy, which means he's kind of red complexion complexion and with a handsome appearance so he's gone you're not a fighter you're a model you're a cute little boy go do what cute little boys do because i'm here to fight and so he 
He rips him and he disdains him and he mocks him. He does what he's been doing. He's been mocking Israel. Now he's mocking David. Then the Philistines said to David, I am, am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his God. I think that's the reason he took a stick. He got Goliath looking at the wrong thing. What are you going to take the stick and throw it and think I'm like a dog and going to chase it? So he's got him concentrating on the stick. And while he's concentrating, he's cursing David by his God. Now, the Philistines' God was an, a God by the name, and God, little g, was Dragon. That was their God. Later, we'll see, if you read in the scriptures, the Philistines will eventually sometimes capture the Ark of the Covenant. And they put the Ark of the Covenant by a idol of their God. And when they come back, their God is falling down, face down in front of the covenant. And they go, no, that's not right. So they put him back up. Next day, he's face down, bowing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. I love God just going, even your gods are going to bow down before me. And so eventually they start suffering the plague and they say, Get this thing out of here. So this fight with the uncircumcised Philistines continues on and continues on. But they worship this, this particular God. And so he curses David by his own God. And the Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. So he's, you know, the old, in the movies, you know, they come come here, and, and, and I'll take you apart. David, not being intimidated at all, says, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. He goes, you come with weapons of war. I come in the name of God. Little boy, shepherd, that nobody thinks about. Didn't come to fight in the battle. Just came to see what was going on to report back. And now he's face to face with the giant. Now, this is where I'm going to tweak it a little bit. This story is well known. And there's even a, a saying to talk about oh, David and Goliath, the giant versus the little guy. And so you'll see people talk about, well, this vast corporation in this little company or this big rich person and this poor person. And it's always the comparison of the big versus the little and that. And we will also in our Christian songs and different talk about Facing our giants. And there are times that we face our giants in the sense of our giants being whatever difficulties or whatever we're experiencing. That's not this story. David is not facing his giant. He's facing a giant who's taunting God. 
so much more important. God will give you strength to face your giants. David is fighting against those who taunt God and his people. Not his giants. It's the giants facing his people. And then he goes on to say, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you and I will give your head, I'm sorry, I will head from you and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistine this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So, David says, I'm taking you out because God is going to help me take you out. But I'm taking you out for two reasons. That all those people up there will know that there is a God in Israel. Reason number one. Reason number two. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So David is saying, I got two reasons. My purpose is to tell those who don't honor God that there is a God. And that those who do, why are you trembling? Because God fights our battles for us. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. So Goliath starts to close the gap, the distance between them, and David doesn't wait for him. David closes the gap as well. You would think that David wouldn't because the more distance he has, the better opportunity to use the five stones. But the closer the gap becomes, the less opportunity he has to use more than one. So they draw together. And David put into his hand, into his bag, and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. I bet that that was a very surprised giant. Thinking of a stick and gets a stone. Thus, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that what happened to their champion was dead, they fled. David said, now my head, it's yours. And since David only had a stick, some stones, and a sling, he couldn't sever his head. So he used Goliath's own sword to do it. 
And because this little guy was able to defeat their champion, now the roles were reversed. Instead of the people of God being afraid, the Philistines were now afraid. Then the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron and slain the Philistines lay along the way to Shagram, even to Gath and Ekron. Goliath was from Gath. They took his hometown. Then the sons of Israel turned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their king. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. So David decided, in this battle, I want some souvenirs. So he took the head of Goliath, which probably was pretty heavy, and took it to Jerusalem so that they might remember that there is a God in Israel who fights their battle. And then he took, he put the weapons of Goliath in his tent that he might remember that God was the one who delivered him and delivered that giant into his hand. There are times that we need to remember what God has done. And we may need souvenirs to do that. Because it's amazing that God will deliver us from a situation. And 15 minutes later, we go, oh, where's God? Is he going to help me? I don't know what to do. And maybe if we had some souvenirs. Oh, yeah, I remember when God did this. Because God did this, there was a great battle. And we prevailed because we didn't prevail because the battle was here. There are a lot of Christian songs that are great that, that tell us, why are we fighting the battle that's already been won? That's what David's telling us. It is God who fights our battle. Now, I've shared this story because sometimes we don't need to look for a fight. It just happens. We don't need to taunt other people and whatever. It, the battle just comes to us because we simply are believers in our God. David didn't go to the battle line to fight Goliath. He went to do what his dad told him to do. And sometimes we may face Goliath because we're doing what our father told us to do, which may seem at the time insignificant and unimportant. But it's amazing what God will do with people who obey him and do what he says and fight battles not on their strength, but on his. And this story has a wonderful ending. Just like the three Hebrew men 
that story of someone else being in the fire and they were delivered from it had a wonderful ending. And just like Daniel being in the lion's den had a wonderful ending. And just like Nehemiah was able to complete the wall around Jerusalem had a wonderful ending. And just like Esther, who was willing to go and face the king when she wasn't called, and the people of Israel were saved because her willingness to do so had a wonderful ending. But I want us to be reminded, just as those three Hebrew men had said, our God is able to deliver us, but even if he does not, we won't bow down and worship. And my point here is, even if Goliath takes off our head, I'm not going to tolerate God being mocked. Because I would rather die fighting for the name of my God than tremble hoping somebody will deliver. I would rather God say, you know, this time, Joe, I'm not going to save you because your death will provide more glory. Okay, God, if that's what you want, that's because it's about you anyway. Or even if he doesn't show up, and maybe at the end of life and, and when all the things he goes, well done, well done, thou good and faithful slave, I hear that, and it'll be worth it. Or maybe if I never hear anything, that the world might know that there is a God, and our God is Lord. And hopefully by my life, and by your life, or by my death, or by your death, that others may know, both those who are lost, and those who are believers understand that there is a God. And the battle is here.